Acts 16, um, just a little background. This portion of scripture is Paul and Silas. They had just been arrested and thrown into prison for actually casting a demon out of a young girl, um, which is something that's really a whole different sermon in itself. But uh, we're going to start at verse 20 through 34. So I'm just going to read. I know it's a lot of scripture, but I'm going to read it. And hopefully I'm not going to read too fast. So if I start talking too fast, just do something silly and big. So I'll slow down because I'm a valley girl. All right. Acts 16 verse 20. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, these men being Jews exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs, which are not lawful for us being Romans to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them into the inner prison, which is the dungeon, and fastened their feet in the stocks. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. And the keeper of the prison, awaking from sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes. And immediately he and all his family were baptized. Now when he had brought them into his house, he set food before them, and he rejoiced, having believed in God with all his household. So let's just pray. Father God, we just thank you for tonight, Lord God, and this word that you've prepared. And Father, I pray that you would just let it seep into our hearts and take root, Father, and we thank you for, the, for revelation knowledge that you give us as we spend time with you. And Lord Jesus, we pray tonight that your word would pierce our hearts, Father, and change us and make us more like you, Father. In your name we pray, amen. So I work with kids a lot, so I summarize everything, and we do choral response. Paul and Silas were in prison, and they love to respond. I won't make you guys do that. But <laughs> so they were arrested, beaten within an inch of their life, probably, and in prison. They were in the dungeon, and their feet were in those little clasp things, the stalks. In the middle of the night, inside the prison, they began worshiping and praising, singing hymns. And there was an earthquake. The chains were loosed. Everyone was free. The jailer got saved. They were released. And actually, it was kind of funny because it really gave them some indignation because after they, they, were, they were taken out, they were like, okay, so you guys can just go. You're free to go to the night. And they're like, uh, no. You put us in prison in front of everybody. You can release us in front of everybody. I'm like, they're a little sassy. I like it. <laughs> so several things happened in that little passage of Scripture. The first one I want to talk about is that Paul and Silas began worshiping in the midst of this crisis. They were in prison, uh, beaten, hurt. So why would they have started worshiping? And I, I really feel like the Lord explained to me that they cultivated a lifestyle of daily worship. So even in the midst of crisis, they were in prison, they were chained. They knew how to worship. They knew how to pull down the presence of God. They, they knew how to worship. They had cultivated this daily life of seeking after the Lord and seeking his presence and giving him praise that it wasn't a big deal for them in, the, in, in prison to just start worshiping. It, was, it wasn't the special thing they did. They just did what they always do. And they cultivated this lifestyle. 
of, of worship. They knew how to pull on the presence of God, and they knew how to fix their eyes on Jesus when the situation looked desperate and hopeless. They knew that God responds to the praises of his people. When we praise God, he can't resist showing up. He just can't resist it. it he, he inhabits the praises of his people. It's what the word says. So they knew, they also knew, Paul and Silas, they knew that, they, I mean, they could, they knew they were doing stuff that was against the, the law. So they had to be prepared for that crisis before the crisis. They, they had to cultivate that, that response. So the worship response to disaster and to panic was conditioned in them. Um, if you've ever taken a psychology class, they talk about classical conditioning, that Pavlov's dogs, like he taught them to salivate at the sound of a bell, all that stuff. So I learned all about conditioning when I was in college. Um, so I'm like, are you going to make me salivate when you ring a bell? <laughs> Give me a mint or something. Um, so <laughs> well, I, that kind of stuck out to me when I read that, though, that they were conditioned to praise, that it was a response always in them that they had developed and disciplined themselves to do. They were always praising. So then when, when this huge crisis came along, which I know they were in prison multiple times, it wasn't a hard thing to just pull down the presence of God. And when they did that, a miracle occurred. This awesome, amazing miracle. Their praise literally brought a miracle. Literally caused a miracle to, to happen. An earthquake, chains broke. And not, it, it's awesome because not just they were free, everybody was free. So our praise actually can bring freedom to others. And I, I love that. That's, oh, it's so awesome. As a worship leader, I, I like to think about that because so many people in our culture, they think that worship is personal. Or they think that it's private. But Paul and Silas were not being like, thank you, Jesus, praise God. They were not, you know they weren't doing that. They were worshiping loud, and they didn't care who heard them. And it, their praise brought down that miracle from heaven. Their praise literally became a weapon. It pushed back the devil. It pushed against the powers of darkness, and it brought down the glory of God. Their praise brought freedom, not only to themselves but to others. The same thing happened when Joshua marched the Israelites around the walls of Jericho, and I like how he told them. He told them to be quiet first, and then he said, "Okay, now shout and praise." And the, their praise brought that miracle. The walls came tumbling down. That's what the song says. <laughs> so it's it's. There's multi. This isn't the only account in Scripture of worship causing a miracle. So worship, when you're experiencing crisis, it worship becomes an act of faith. It becomes it becomes stepping out and saying, "Okay, God, I know." that the situation around me looks terrible and I don't know what to do, but I'm going to praise you and I'm going to step out in faith and I'm going to worship you because I know that I know that I know that you're faithful. So it's an act of faith, but worship, I don't think we think of it like this enough. It's a tool. It's a weapon. It, it causes you to take ground in your own life. It brings freedom. I just love that. Okay, the next thing that happened in the story, and I hope I'm not talking too fast, is that the jailer was saved. And I've read this passage so many times, and this has never stuck out to me. So I know that it was from the Holy Spirit. The jailer was saved. He witnessed this miracle. He heard their praises. He even experienced the peace that I'm sure Paul and Silas were emanating. They had peace because when you're spirit-led, you dwell in peace. So there's always peace around those kinds of people. You can tell when you go into somebody's house and they've cultivated this environment of worship because there's peace. It's just, oh, this feels good. And then you can tell when it's not cultivated and when there's other things going on. You, oh, I don't feel so good. So this this jailer, he felt the peace that they were that they had inside of them, heard their praise, and saw the miracle that their praise brought. He said, "You were praising your God, 
and stuff happened. What was that? And how can I have that too? <laughs> I just <laughs> love that. He came in and was like, uh-oh, you guys are all gone. I'm going to die. They're going to kill me, or I'm, so I'm just going to kill myself. And, and I love the compassion of Paul and Silas because they're like, no, no, no. Don't, don't do anything. We're, we're here. We're fine. Um, and basically, <laughs> do you want to know Jesus? That's kind of how I, I see it in my head. And I love that, that there's nobody off limits, that they weren't afraid to, sure, you can know Jesus. Like, there's no strangers. And I just love that. But the jailer, his salvation and the salvation of his entire family, it, it, and I think it's important that it mentions that it's not just the jailer that was saved. It was his entire family, his entire bloodline from that point on was changed because of the worship response that had been cultivated in Paul and Silas. And uh, I, I don't know what the jailer went on to do, but I suspect it was something pretty awesome because he was mentioned. So um, it's possible, to me, it's possible that God orchestrated that entire event just to save the jailer because God does that kind of stuff. <laughs> He he want okay. I want this jailer. I want his family to know me. So I'm gonna put Paul. In, I'm gonna allow Paul and Silas to go to prison because I trust that that in that daily worship that they've cultivated will win those people. And it's just so amazing. So I, what I felt the Holy Spirit give me this revelation is that there's jailers in our lives that need our worship response. They need our response. To, to crisis, and, and even when things are good, they need to see us cultivating that daily lifestyle of worship and praising God because their salvation depends on it. The unbelieving in our family, coworkers, our children, they need to see that our response to crisis is peace and praise and not panic and despair. They need to see that, and they need to see us cultivate a daily life of worship even when things are good. So... How do we condition ourselves to have that response? I think there's a lot of different things we do in order to cultivate that. Worship is not just music. It's not just singing. And I think some people are are more given to worship, but we were created to worship. We all have that in us. We're all supposed to worship. We all need to worship. So it's, it's something that some people maybe have to work at more than others. For me, I don't really have to. That's kind of, I, I think I feel like I was born like that. I just do. Now, other things, prayer is something like intercession. I actually have to discipline myself to do it. I'm not given to it as much. My sister Julia is. So that, that's why I like to be around her. Because I'm like, I need, I need that. So there, there's things we have to discipline ourselves to do. So we have to invite the presence of God into our home. If we're only worshiping corporately, we're missing out on a huge facet of who God is. And we're really just getting the overflow of other people's time with the Lord. And, and that's, that's how I feel about it. I don't know if that's, yeah. All right. Um. Uh, I also have here, what are you feeding your spirit? If we want to set an environment for the Lord in our house and an environment where we are more given to worship, where we can feel his presence and, and where we draw his presence down, because when we worship, that's what happens. We, we pull on the presence of God. We pull on heaven. So what are we, in, what are we feeding our spirit? What are we um, allowing to influence our home? For me, I know I have the TV on all the time. I'm not going to be one of those people that's like, oh, I, I never watch TV because that's a total lie. I do. I like to read everything, everything. So, like, book, I just books. I have to discipline myself to, like, you're not going to buy another book. 
you're going to read the word of God. <laughs> so it's hard. And the Facebook gossip, like what are we feeding our spirit that's keeping us from, in, from having that, that environment at home? Because the environment that happens here when we're worshiping, when everybody comes in collectively from all different walks of life and we together enter the presence of God. And because when you praise, you just, you pull it down. We can say, God, I'm going to praise you. You're here. It happens instantaneously. We can have that individually. We can have that at home. You don't have to sing. You don't have to play an instrument to do that. You really, it's, you don't. Um, and corporate worship, what happens here really can only go as far as individual worship is going. So like for me as a worship leader, I can only take the congregation, lead the congregation rather, to where I've been before. I can't take them somewhere I haven't been. So that's for us. We're, the worship only goes farther corporately um, when we start pressing in individually. That's what has to happen. Um, so I have one more scripture here that I want to read. Luke 19. Do you want to turn there? I'm going to start at verse 37 through 40. There's context to this, but I'm just going to read this short couple of verses. Um, then as Jesus, he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, blessed is the, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. So I had this revelation Generally, if I know I'm going to teach, uh, I get very scared for like the first hour or two hours after I'm like, okay, what did I just commit to? Oh my gosh. And then I start asking the Lord for just, okay, Lord, give me a new revelation. Give me something that I, I haven't heard before from your heart, from your spirit. And when I came across that scripture, something occurred to me, and I, I know we've heard that we were, cre- we're created to be instruments of praise and worship to God, but all creation worships God. He's always being praised. He will receive worship. If we don't do it, the rocks will, is what the scriptures say. But I kind of, I, I had this revelation that it doesn't matter. It's like they're always worshiping him. He's always receiving glory. He's the creator of the universe. Everything longs for him and worships him. He will be praised. Whether or not we choose to walk in the power that comes from praising him and whether we choose not to give him glory because we know he's worthy of it is another thing he's he will be praised all the time so if we don't praise god still receives worship he desires our praise but he doesn't need it he does not need our praise he he desires it but we are the ones who need to praise he doesn't need it we need to do it our praise doesn't give him power our praise gives us his power and so when we're in his presence and we praise him, we're, we're given his power. And I just, oh, when the Lord, sh- uh, the Lord began sharing that revelation with me, I just felt like I just wanted to weep because I, I really, and maybe it occurred to all of you before, but I was a little late to the party or something, but that really just changed my life. I, I, but we need to praise and, and I, we need to worship. And I, I know worship is something I'm so passionate about. So I'll probably start talking fast. I have to slow down. Um, that's how we war with the enemy, praise. When we feel the press, we praise. 
And I'll be really honest and transparent. I lead worship most Sundays, and there's some Sundays that I don't want to. <laughs> um, <laughs> like, there's some Sundays that I wake up, and I'm like, I totally stay in bed and, like, watch movies. Or, or there's some Sundays it's just a hard day. When the enemy wants to mess with you, it's usually Sunday morning. Right? Like, that's the day that you're yelling at your kids, like, get in the car if you can feel the love of Jesus. Like, that's what's happening. It is. It's, it's so, it's, that's why we, I have, like, the no life lessons policy on Sunday morning. Like, you cannot set yourself up to do, to, to have turmoil. Like, things need, we need to make, th- like, there is no big breakfasts. No one's doing that. Like, nothing. No. You get a muffin and get in the car. Like, that's not, no. So, <laughs> I know that sounds so practical and so silly, but, like, if you feel like you're having tension on Sunday mornings, then look at what you're doing to, like, lay your, like, lay, I lay my clothes out the night before. I will not make any decisions Sunday morning because there's nothing that's going to keep me from experiencing the presence of God. And I know that's so, like, silly and practical, but I know that it doesn't occur to everybody, and and so I, I, I don't know why I shared that, but I felt like I should... Um, but when we praise and we war with the enemy, we take ground in our own life when we, when we lift up our eyes to the Lord and we give him all the praise that we have. We push the enemy back and by faith worship God despite the circumstances. And the last thing I have here really is that others, other people, they need to see that worship response in us. Just as the salvation of the jailer, I'm just kind of reading what I have here because I said it nice the first time and I don't want to mess it up the second time. Just as the salvation of the jailer was dependent upon the lifestyle of worship that Paul and Silas had cultivated and the worship response they had conditioned themselves to, there are people in our lives that are depending on our worship. So what you, we, we don't think of it. We go through daily life at work, I, I know, and you deal with people and you get home and you're like, did I really give glory to God. Cuz it doesn't I I teach, I can't verbally say God is so good, but I but my actions are are worship to the Lord. If I'm being a butthead to the kids, which sometimes I am, and then I and if I'm if I so I have actually had the experience where I feel like I know that I'm getting frustrated. I know that I'm irritated and I'll stop and I'll say you guys, I'm sorry. I'm having a frustrating day. I should not have said that to you or whatever. You know, it's when they see that I feel like okay, it's showing them something. So, so I know that it, it, it happens that, that life goes on and, and we make mistakes and everything, but there is people that in our lives that need to see that conditioned response to praise no matter what the circumstances. So our worship, it calls down the very presence of God and it brings freedom, peace, and restoration, not just to us, but to those around us. The, the, uh, so I have here just my kind of closing thought. I know I, it's very early, but um, who in your life needs to see your worship response? A man's entire family line was changed because of the miracle Paul and Silas's praise produced. His, his life was changed. The jailers in our life are depending on our lifestyle of pure and abandoned worship to God. There's people, the time is short, there's people that are literally hanging in the balance. Their eternity is on the line, and it's our worship response that needs to be cultivated and needs to be conditioned in us. So that's, that's really what I wanted to share tonight. I feel like just... just can we just wait on the Lord for a minute? Let's just begin to pray in the Spirit, because I feel like God wants to do something a little different, but that I'm not prepared for. Um, let's just pray.
Jesus, we worship you, Lord. You know, I feel like the Lord is saying that there's there's people here tonight that leave Sunday after church kind of at a point of desperation that that um that there's family members that we know need salvation and that we know need to be saved. And we feel desperate and we feel like we're doing everything we can to we just want to shake them. And um I feel like the Lord's saying that we need to just relax and begin to just rest in him, right, and be ourselves and just lift up his name and to worship. And that I, I feel like just like the, the jailer, that he saw that miracle and that, that the praise produced, I feel like your praise, the praise you have inside of you to give is going to produce miracles. And it's going to change the lives of those around us that those that are unbelieving. And so, Lord Jesus, tonight, Father, we just pray that this daily life of worship can be cultivated in us, Lord Jesus. We know that there's people depending on what we are cultivating in our homes and in our spirit, Lord Jesus, and in our daily walk. And, Father, we thank you, Lord Jesus, that your spirit will remind us that our actions and what we're doing, that they speak to people, Lord Jesus. Father, let the worship flow out of us easily, Lord God. And Jesus, when we're experiencing the press of the enemy, Lord God, let us praise you. Let us give you glory that despite the circumstances and the situation going on around us, Father, we know that you deserve our praise. Father, we thank you that you inhabit our praise, that when we praise you, you show up, you arrive when we praise you, Lord God. So we thank you, Jesus, that by faith we can praise you, Lord God, and that it produces miracles in our lives, Lord God, that salvation occurs even for other people when they witness the miracles that, that happen when we call down your presence, Jesus. We just thank you, Lord, Father. We praise your name. Amen. Thank you, Rachel. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. A couple things that I think that we ought to revisit tonight in this moment that we carry out of here with us. I think it's revelation from the Lord when God says to us, who in your life needs to see your worship response? I think that's revelation. I think it's revelation from the Lord for us to hear things like if you're not worshiping in your own life, if you don't have a worship life of your own, then on Sunday morning you're living out of the overflow of others, other people's worship. That's revelation to me. When, when I hear her say that, I'm saying, okay, I'm hearing things that the Father is expressing to us a deeper understanding of our worship experience. When, uh, when, when we hear things like that, we should not miss that. That's challenging to me. But there's something that I want, something else that I want to give you that I, that I think is equally as important. 
those those things are vitally important. Those those they're revelatory. They they in other words, when something is revelation, knowledge, and understanding, it will revolutionize your life if you will lay it into the foundation of your life. That's what revelation knowledge does. But the other thing that Rachel said a couple things, and then she uh, I don't think you meant to downplay it particularly, but she just said sorry for the practical stuff here. But if teaching doesn't involve practical application in some simplistic ways, those things will also change our lives. I remember my mother uh, uh, was, uh, was a great worshiper. She couldn't sing a lick, and they'll have to cut that out of that CD, in case, that web post in case that she listens to this someday. But she was the person in the congregation that you would, I'm sure, discuss on your way to church. Just don't sit in front of Sister Holmes because... You know, that was that was the experience. She didn't have a good voice, but she knew how to worship God. And we would get in the car. She had one girl and five boys. Imagine this on Sunday morning. And you can just imagine some of the experiences we had getting to the car. Then some of the lectures we got. It was 45 minutes drive to church when I was growing up. And we had some 45-minute lectures. And, uh, but yet there was this ability in her to walk through the church door, lay all of that down and enter into the presence of the Lord. It was magnificent. However, as we grew, she learned as a mother, some things that Rachel was sharing with us this morning. Okay, no big breakfast on Sunday morning. Get a muffin, get in the car. Lay out clothes on Saturday night. I remember as we were growing up, my wife was so magnificent in terms of organizational skill. You ever need help with organizational skill? Talk to Laura. You can leave that one on the CD. Uh, but she packed the diaper bag when our kids were little on Saturday night. She knew what clothes the kids were going to wear when they were little uh, before they were old enough to pick their own on Saturday night. She did everything she could to make Sunday morning the smoothest day of the week, literally, in practical terms. Don't miss that kind of information that comes through teaching. God is saying something to us about our worship experience, that we can take that, that wonderful spiritual understanding that someone in your life needs to see your worship response, and it'll, it'll produce miracles in their life. And then here's some practical things to allow your worship experience to be more fruitful than it may have been in the past. I, th- I think that's wonderful. And I applaud Rachel, and as a worship leader in this house, you really need to speak more into our lives, and I appreciate that and honor that. And I, uh, and I just think we've received so much tonight uh, by that. Uh, I had never thought about that jailer. I've been preaching a long time, and I never thought about that. And the fact that, that uh, was a, they had so trained themselves to worship that in crisis, you don't prepare in crisis for crisis. You better be prepared ahead of time. And so the crisis came, and they were just like, hallelujah, we're in crisis. Isn't it wonderful, Jesus? We love you anyway. Stocks and bonds, we love you anyway. Jail, we love you anyway. Isn't that magnificent? But they had developed that. So, so just some very, very powerful uh, wisdom there, and we appreciate and receive it. Father, I pray that the word that we have received tonight would uh, be laid into our life and become a part of the foundation of our worship experience. I pray. I have become acutely and intensely aware of the fact that when you blow in in during our worship like you did tonight and your presence is so sweet and so precious that those are the environments you want to cultivate at home. 
And it was such a wonderful thing when my prayer and worship time at home transitioned to where the same thing that was happening in the corporate environment was happening in that personal, quiet, secret place. Would you bring us to that place, Father? Hallelujah. Because like Rachel said, when we go there, then we have the ability to lead others there. Let us be that kind of people. Let the things we've learned tonight be powerful and wonderful in our lives. And for this we give you praise in the mighty name of Jesus.